welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. And this weekend, in honor of our, our buddy, I don't know, in honor the of the mooch. The mooch! We are talking about our gaming one-night stands, which is not really just a one-night thing. It's more, it's in honor of the mooch because it's a game that we, we really had a torrid affair with this game. It was passionate. It was hot and heavy. It was really something, and it did not last very long at all. Turned out that person was terrible, and terrible for you. <laughs> terrible in all ways. Just bad. Uh, so, Rob, I'm going to let you... I'm going to let you pick one out of your your little black book of gaming first okay. before I, I go. Because I, I feel like I've got a few. I have to I have to think a little bit, but I, I'm sure there's a few in there. Well, and sometimes, and sometimes it does get a little bit unfair or like the line gets a little blurry. Like, did you just like get too intense with this person or game too quickly? And like, maybe there could have been something fulfilling there. But like, you kind of both rushed it and then it fell apart under like... You know, the weight of expectations. That can happen too. And and that's what happened to me and Kingdom. Oh, Kingdom. Yeah, so I, there, there's an entire themes ahead about this that I recorded like a year or so ago. Where basically I think I made a couple of my friends sit with me for a therapy session about like <laughs> this experience I just had. I had a three-day weekend or something. And I just got a hold of Kingdom. And Kingdom is, to start out... A really gorgeous looking and sounding game. Like it's got a great, like sort of ambient soundtrack. Um, you play a prince or princess, basically, uh, who it's side scrolling. You run through a countryside. You come to a little castle, and voila, you are like kind of ruling this place. And you recruit little villagers, and uh, they go and like cut down trees and you can build fortifications and then at night uh, zombies come and then every like week or so there's like a blood night <laughs> where lots of bad shit shows up and basically it's like the horde attacks and your fortifications really need, need to be strong to resist that. Thing is, it's the game sort of keeps revealing like little tricks and nuances at first and so... It's a really easy game just to keep investing yourself into. And then the thing that you realize is there's a victory condition. And the victory condition is a really excruciating grind. Uh, basically, you've got to go to the very edges of the map. The map does, in fact, end. And at the very end of the map, you will find uh, the portal where the demons are coming through. And it can be destroyed if you throw dudes at it long enough. But once dudes are, like, killed, they're gone forever. So you can also just lose the game trying to, like, churn through this demon portal. And that's very easy to do because it just keeps spewing these, like, squads of demons out. So basically, like, every time that your offensive kind of, like, sputters to a halt just because you get, like, swarmed by these things... Uh, you end up having to re-recruit a bunch of your routed villagers, rebuild, uh, and each time you're a little less capable of of mounting an attack. Point is, I figured out like 85 to 90% of this game, probably within like eight or nine hours. And it was great. Like if I'd stopped there, would have been a great game, would have been a great day. Like I said, a three-day weekend. Mm. I got fixated on actually beating the campaign. And... I just kept struggling at that last stage. And 
basically for the better part of the weekend, I had one of the demon portals down. There was only one left to go. But just geographically, like, it was, I think, basically a mathematical impossibility to take this thing out. Like, the distance that my, like, last point of departure was between, uh, like, to this place was too far away. Like, a new demon horde was always going to show up and, like, wipe me out. Nevertheless, I spent, like, an entire weekend just, like, running this game again and again and again. In a three-day weekend, I think I put in 26 hours. Holy shit! Oh, yeah. By the end of that weekend, I could not look at Kingdom. And I still basically haven't. Like, they've had, by all accounts, a good expansion come out. Uh, it's a cool game. I, like, I still admire a lot of what is going on in that game. But I think on some level, I will always hate Kingdom. Because it was so easy. It was so bite-sized. It was so delicious. That, um, like, really, really bad for you junk food. It was easy to, like, binge on. And then just totally regret because ultimately, like, it wasn't good for you. And if you had too much of it, it was, like, basically poisonous. Oh, yeah. God. It's like eating a really, really, really delicious sundae and then you want to barf. I got, okay. You've had a real sundae thing going lately. Oh, man. I really do. I'm a little, like... Is the weather real hot down there? It's very hot. And it's very, like... Uh, it's just like perfect August summer, like, you know, the, the light is that certain way it gets in August, that like rich blues in the sky, and you just want to just house Sundays all day. I'm just saying, that's that's a thing. We actually had a kind of a cold front here in Boston uh, for a few days, like it was, you know, in the 60s, uh, basically, yeah. but like at yeah. night it would actually get a little chilly. And it was great, and I sort of had this like summer madness set in where I was like, Sometimes in the middle of summer, you're like, all right, bring on autumn. And so we had like a couple crisp nights and mm. I ended up baking one of my family's like traditional holiday treats, uh, chocolate chip bread, um, which is just a uh, really eggy, yeasty, uh, like white bread loaf with it's sort of rolled up like a jelly roll and there's a swirl of chocolate chips running through the loaf Ooh. with chopped up maraschino cherry. Oh my God. And yeah, it's, it's super indulgent. It's super uh, rich and like it tastes like it's just in, it's irretrievably associated with Christmas for me, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. just that burst of like cool weather. I was like, you know, Christmas in July is a total thing. I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. It's, I do that sometimes. Sometimes seasonal stuff just messes you up. And uh, actually, speaking of that, I was, uh, I had a rough summer last year. I had like a, a, just a bad bout of depression. And uh, there were a whole bunch of things that were a little bit ruined for me. And that uh, kind of didn't help. And I, and, I, and I feel like some of this is not No Man's Sky's fault. But No Man's mm-hmm. Sky absolutely fits this sort of description for me of like binging hard and then being like oh god what did i do so uh yeah no man's sky came out last summer again i was not in the best place so i was like looking for something to latch on to i i needed that sunday i needed that chocolate chip bread rob i needed something to get me out of my funk 
Yeah. And I thought it was going to be No Man's Sky. And I played that. I played like 30 hours across a couple of days. Yeah. It was something like that. It was really extreme. I just kept playing and kept playing and kept playing. I sort of hated my first hour with the game because I, I started out on a planet that was kind of arid and gross. But it doesn't matter. That first hour sucks. Like, yeah. it's literally the first hour is all right, there's a whole bunch of stuff you want to be doing. We're not going to let you do that. Right. <laughs> it's just chipping away with your shitty tool once you run out of power. And then you're chipping away to get more power. And then, you know, finally you're kind of in a better place and you can do the, the little gameplay loop, uh, which isn't actually great. But, you know, you get excited for it at first. Uh, so after that first hour, I was entranced. I, I traveled to all these beautiful places. I found a planet early on that had tons of, like, dinosaur-looking creatures. It was awesome. It was really awesome. There were all these fucked up dinosaurs and I was taking weird pictures and that was really, really fun. And I went to some jungle planet and I started getting excited about learning the language. If you haven't played this game, it's a game with infinite planets, whatever, near infinite planets that all have the same bullshit on every planet. <laughs> Basically, just sort of remixed. Uh, you learn an alien language and you can mine shit and there's an annoying inventory system and otherwise it's kind of it. Now... A just exploration game sounds good to me. Like, I like that idea. I really love, ex like, exploration in games. I yeah. just love finding weird things. I don't even care if there's not really an intrinsic gameplay award. I just like wandering. So, honestly, for, for a few hours of this, it was actually great. Like, that was actually really fun. Without the bullshit uh, of, like, if you make enough money, you can make a nicer ship. Or you can, you know... I think if the game was honest about that stuff, I would have been fine with it. I, I, it would have been like, just wander in some bullshit. Like, I would have been like, okay, cool. But it kind of promises more in a lot of ways, and that wasn't good for me either. And somewhere around hour 20, I really started to lose the thread. I was like, oh, man, all right. I'm feeling bad again. I'm not feeling good. I got, oh, God, all right, all right. I got to do something. And so I started listening to the Hardcore History podcast again mm -hmm. while playing this game. So... I listened to like four episodes, and those are long ass episodes. So the next like, not quite 20 hours, probably like, I don't know, 12-ish, 12 to 15 hours of the game, my next 12 to 15 hours of the game are inextricably uh, sort of associated with a lot of the World War I podcasts that, uh, that Dan Carlin did for Hardcore History, and also the Teddy Roosevelt episode, and also an episode about, um, God, I'm failing to remember the name, but religious extremists in... Germany in like the 16, 15 somethings. There okay. was a it's like 30 episode. years war type stuff. Yes. Yeah. But a very bizarre, really hateful hate crime that happened during that time. Um, okay. Yeah. Sorry that I, I will find it and I'll put it in the show notes. Well, but. There's no shortage of like religious atrocity in <laughs> in that period. So yes. I totally understand. <laughs> like, hmm, it, 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 it escapes me. But there's yeah. this one sect that handed another escape. Go on. Sect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, okay, this could be anything. Um, yeah, I, I will think of it, but. Uh, so, so then I started exploring and doing this not wait, actually Danielle, terribly... sounds like an awesome time. Yeah, you it know. It sounds great. <laughs> so I'm doing this, like, shitty gameplay loop of, 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 you know, flying over the same shit, really, over and over again, and finding alien words, and it never really goes anywhere, while listening to the worst atrocities in human history. <laughs> and, like, again, so I don't want to blame... No Man's Sky for this entirely. I was already depressed, 
And I was already <laughs> thinking, oh, what a good time. I'll listen to hardcore history. So like, please take this with a grain of salt. But holy crap, did I bounce off that game. After, I, after that stopped working, like after the hardcore history stuff alongside <laughs> the, the game stopped working to keep my interest at all, I, I was done. I haven't picked it up since. Uh, oh, like man. last August or last July, whatever, like three days after it came out, literally, I haven't picked it up. And I just like I think about that game and I start to feel a little depressed and a little nauseated. And that's how bad <laughs> I bounced oh, off. Well, there's also these things that like get poisoned by the emotional c- context yeah. around them, right? Like yeah. breakup games are always going to be about breakups, no matter like oh, how good yeah. the game was. Uh, death in the family games are always yeah. going to be like, oh yeah, I remember this grief and this feeling of avoidance. <laughs> For uh, sure. But yeah, there there is that where where like you're in that loop and <laughs> god i think i think the thing that happens on the show is it always ends up being like analogies for different sorts of relationships uh, <laughs> for sure. but like there are so many of these games where sometimes it's not necessarily like in terms of how much time you're putting into a game it's like a passionate attachment like you are pouring time and energy into a game in a really short period uh but in a weird way with games that can also be because like there's not that much of substance there. You know what I mean? It's like you are super invested in something in part because minute to minute, hour to hour, there's actually not that much going on. It's like a vaguely pleasant, uh, you know, nothing burger to, to use a word (laughs) that is, uh, you know, getting increasingly abused. But my analogy for this uh, and another sort of cold light of day uh, wake up with a game was Empire Total War. Mm. And I became, and this is why I've always got, I've always got sympathy for, um, you know how like sometimes people make fun of those forum warriors who are like, this game is crap. After 500 hours, <laughs> I realized this game, like, And that person is kind of inherently ridiculous, but at the same time, like, I also, like, intimately understand what animates that person. And that was me with Empire Total War. So Empire Total War (laughs) comes out, and this, like, first of all, this was, like, a game made for me. Like, if you know anything about me, (laughs) you know I love the 18th century. Like... Boy, howdy, that is like my favorite <laughs> historical period, basically up through Waterloo. Like, I am all about that shit. Like, give me uh, give me wars, like, waged by uh, powdered, bewigged <laughs> narcissists. <laughs> uh, give me just, like, acres of, like, brightly uniformed troops uh, covered in gold braid, just, like, blasting the shit out of each other. That's my jam. Yeah. And Empire Total War was like a break from the traditional Total War model, which was like all swords, samurai, shields, you know, that kind of stuff. And it was a game about the 18th century. So I was 110% on board. I remember on a, on this old forum I, I used to frequent, like, to get hyped up, people were like putting up YouTube videos of like the duelists and Barry Lyndon and shit just to like, you know, get hyped for that 18th century uh, goodness. So I run out and I buy the game and, you know, right from the first, there were things that were kind of messed up. Like, um, God, this is going to sound super petty, but all the uniforms are generic. And God, (laughs) uh, saying that sounds really dumb. Like, 
It is dumb. It's a dumb thing. But the, the, the point is, if you know that period at all, you know that, like, there were national uni- – like, the entire era was sort of defined by colorful uniforms and, like, distinctive markings. And that game, like, makes it all generic and interchangeable. Basically, just the color swaps and, and that's it. And then you realize that's kind of what it did with, um, with all the factions. And then – but it's still, like, really a great-looking game – impressive engine ridiculous scope like it's to- it's a total war game that like spans the globe there's like you know colonialism happening in india and the new world but then there's like traditional warfare happening in europe all simultaneously it's really really cool and i probably just shotgunned that game for 40 to 80 hours like two or three campaigns just like flying by as i just like invested everything in that game and toward the end of my first victorious campaign i start to realize that things are wrong like there were things i was doing with empire total war that was almost like rationalizing ways the game was broken to myself like (laughs) yeah i was i was convincing myself that like oh i'm really good at this game and like what a clever defense i had of east prussia to prevent the russians from taking it when when they declared war on me and then later i realized wait when have i seen the ai manage to take anything i hadn't and so i started like giving it little tests again the relationship metaphor is real good here (laughs) because like i'm like i wonder what would happen if I just don't do this, would the game notice? And the answer was no, it wouldn't. It didn't, like, the game could not play itself. It didn't understand, like, any of the stuff that was happening on on that strategic layer. And at that point, like, it was like the end of The Usual Suspects, where, like, everything that had happened in the previous, like, week and a half with that game, it was just, like, rapid cut of all these moments. As I realized, like, it was all based on lies and bullshit. I'd wanted to be deceived, so I was. And so at the end of that, like, 40 to 80 hours, I totally became Mr. Forum, like, you guys all think this game is good, <laughs> but let me tell you, it's not. There's, like, like there's me, like, there's me getting into an argument somewhere with, like, Kieran Gillen on a forum somewhere, basically being a little prat about, like, him trying to, like, rein me in. And I was like, you just don't get it, man. Like, I read your Total War reviews. You don't understand shit about Total War. Uh, which, actually, I don't think he does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm right about that, actually. <laughs> no, I, no, like, uh, like Kieran, uh, I think Gillen's reviews of Total War, I think, like, he understands, like, what got the blood pumping in those games and, like, why people love them. I come from them, like, wanting them wanting them to be like really soundly designed strategy games and they just aren't and gillen i think was comfortable with that bargain and i never was but with empire it was really super at odds with itself and so at the end of that 80 hours i was like i hate you empire i never want to see you again (laughs) and like threw shit out under the street and uh you know moved on wow uh fair more than fair I had a, a, a similar, but but maybe a little less passionate than No Man's Sky, and definitely less passionate than your uh, extreme breakup here uh, with Empire Total War, but I had a similar experience with Mass Effect 3, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an incredibly passionate love affair 
where I was like, okay, this game is definitely not, two was like my high point. Yeah, you know, I think for a lot of people, I think one is the best story. Two is this best sort of blend as, as the story and the, the gameplay kind of got a little smoother. And also I just love the characters in two. I just, Miranda and, and Jack and her name's Miranda, right? Did I totally fuck up? No, her name is Miranda. All right, cool, cool. Uh, Miranda and Jack, and I even like Jacob, even though, like, if you play oh, as man, a Jacob's lady bad. shepherd, like, it wants you to bang him, like, no question. Like, the, the character model like, gets very seductive, even if you're, like, just buds. She's like, how you doing, Jacob? And it's yeah, but it's a little much. Uh, definitely, he, like, made some, He like, he made clear that door was open to me. Uh, but I just was so aggressively bored by him that, like, really quickly the game defaulted to uh, Jacob's standard bro greeting, which was just like, yeah, Shepard, once this is all over, we're going to have some wild times. Yeah. Woo! Beer. <laughs> and I was like, you got it, Jacob. We will definitely <laughs> hang out after this is all over. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jake, Jacob's all right. He's just, you know, he's sort of the fuckboy of the Mass Effect universe, and that's fine. Like, it's fine. It's fine that he is. There's a place for that, I guess. I think... Um, yeah, yeah go well, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I just... Miranda and Jacob both, like... Miranda was, like, a really, like, grossly exploitative, like, character design. Oh, yeah. But, like, with sort of a compelling backstory that was, like, interesting to get into. Jacob was, like, a super boring, like, generic love interest. Like, just aggressively bland. But... Man, was his story, like, fucked up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, problematic for sure. Yes. Uh, but it was, yeah. It, like, everything about that character, like, you would not expect such a, uh, you know, poorly drawn character to just have such a shit show lurking in their backstory. Yeah, I always thought of that as, like, he very purposely tries to be normal because of a lot of the shit in his past. Uh, but, yeah. Anyway, like, I, I like to a lot... Uh, I like two so much. I went back and played one so I could uh, romance Liara and have a wonderful lesbian love affair, and then played two again after playing two and then one. Uh, so again, so I could have this amazing lesbian love affair, and that was pretty great. It was a pretty great experience. It was kind of the first like big budget game or really game that I played where I could be like, kind of like fantasy Danielle, like you know, running around the galaxy. Being a superhero, being really nice to everybody, and also having lots of um, great hot sex with alien ladies. So, yes, this was very exciting for me. So playing three, I liked it a lot, but I kind of felt something a little bit missing as I was playing. I mean, it is honestly like the uh, tie up loose ends the game without having a whole lot of actual satisfaction. But it, it was fun to play. I went through it really quickly, and then I kind of took my damn time uh, building up, whatever, doing the multiplayer and building up whatever the fuck the, the quotient is at the end, the galactic oh, the readiness, yeah. or whatever Galactic it's readiness, called. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever that bullshit is called. And I beat the game, and I just, I was fine with the ending. I got the original ending. It was before all the things were, you know, kind of redone. I was like, I was fine with it, but I felt very hollow and empty afterwards. Yeah. I felt very, like... That's it? I don't know. I, I guess that's not the same as the mooch feeling, right? It's not that I wasn't like emotionally scarred. I wasn't like, I can't look at you again. But I definitely felt like something had been <laughs> ripped from my soul a little bit. There was like a little piece that was missing after that. It was a little bit like, huh, what happened? <laughs> something, something was taken from me <laughs> in some weird way. So 
I guess that's a related feeling. It's a related trauma. I guess I, the, the the galaxy wasn't really ready. I suppose is the real yeah. That's the real lesson I should have learned. <laughs> oh, Mass Effect! Whatever will we do with you, Mass Effect, aka also in the same order as the Alien movies, aka JV Gwaltney on Twitter's uh, excellent professional opinion. Uh, anyway, I think that's unless you have another torrid love affair nope. that went badly and ended quickly. I guess we should move on. We should, we should move Let's on get to that from weekend our, correspondence. our bad relationships and go into our weekend correspondence. So our first letter comes from Alex. And Alex writes, I'm just playing near Automata. God, Automata. I have to No, do myself. not give in to the Automata. <laughs> near whatever the fuck. And the soundtrack is so good, I was inspired to go out and finally buy a proper sound system for my setup. Outside of the normal product cycle for new consoles... What games have influenced you or inspired you to make purchases or do good things in your life you would not have done otherwise, i.e. bring quality sound to your apartment? I have never brought quality sound to my apartment, so I think this is a Rob question. Uh, yeah, well, everyone should bring quality sound to their apartment. <laughs> let, me, let me just tell you that. Uh, there's some great sound bars out there. Uh, you don't need a 5.1 system. You can start with a soundbar. Uh, no, it's... I, I think in terms of things that motivated, like, egregious luxury purchases, uh, I think the Simbin racing games... Um, so Simbin was a great uh, racing game studio uh, that part of it, I think, hived off and became slightly mad and make, makes Project Cars now and did uh, the Need for Speed Shift games. Uh, but for a few years there, Simbin was like where it was at, like really hardcore um, touring car uh, racing sims. And I was just having such a blast with those that like I just wanted to keep getting more and more immersed. And that culminated in the purchase of the Track IR, uh, which is the, the head tracking uh, thing that uh, where, yes. like you put it on top of your monitor and there's a little camera there. And it's tracking a little widget you put on the brim of a hat and it can tell sort of where you're looking. And basically it introduces like a head tracking uh, free look into any kind of sim game. And it like, no joke, it, it looks really dumb to wear it. It's really incredible to use though. Like when you're playing a racing game and you're like, you know how sometimes there's like a hairpin turn and like you just have to like, memorize the layout and like hit it by feel because you literally cannot see where you're going because like the nose of the car is always pointing in the wrong direction until you complete the turn being able to just sort of like turn your head and like look into the corner or like lean your head to the right and back a little bit to like crane your neck and look into the passenger side rearview mirror of your car is ridiculous <laughs> and it feels amazing uh so Track IR, Simbin racing games definitely motivated some uh, some some dubious decisions. Ah. Okay, that sounds cool. That sounds very cool. And I am not immune to this by any means because I will spend probably too much money on rash guards and uh, running clothes. <laughs> We've talked about this before, so it's not this is not a revelation, but like that's where I'll splurge. <laughs> like those yeah. are my luxury items is like things that will make me extremely comfortable and feel like a little badass when I'm training. So 
That's my answer. <laughs> Not relevant to any nerds ever, but it's fine. <laughs> just, just me. All right, our next email comes from uh, I think John Rennish, and oh, yes. John writes. With the release of Shadow of War coming up, an interesting topic revolving around their nemesis system has been in a few discussions. Namely, why don't more games do that? Uh, a fair question for an impressive feature like that. Uh, you know, actually, you know, this is a little asterisk. But, but the best answer is that every feature uh, a game has divides up the player's focus and more don't always improve the final experience. It's not uncommon to be weighed down by, by one too many features. Uh, but from your experiences, uh, do you have any examples of games being better when the scope is limited and more focused on the core mechanics instead of going wide? Uh, yes. And I think that that's... Um, honestly, I think games that have really, really good storytelling and i don't think there are many on that list and uh i yes gone home i think is one of them but actually what remains of edith finch is another really good example of that mm -hmm. where extremely tightly focused gameplay uh and in the game uh, just in case you haven't played it it's a game where you are a young woman who goes back to this wacky and insane house that she sort of grew up in uh where every one of the kids has died it there's like this this very sort of weird and off-kilter tone to the game and you're playing different people's stories, and it's it's about how they died. Uh, I guess not everybody was a kid when they died, but there are a lot of dead kids in that house. Uh, and it's sort of this quirky and whimsical and also kind of dark game about these deaths and sort of what it means and family connection and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but you play these little vignettes uh, in that game. And I think the scope is uh, perfect. <laughs> it's, very, it's very limited to just these stories and sort of the story of the house as a whole. It's, uh, the gameplay itself is, is fairly simple uh, in most cases. There are a few sort of, uh, there's a few vignettes where they're a little bit more involved. There's sort of a first person exploration. Uh, it's not a shooter, but you have like a baseball bat. <laughs> there's like a first person semi get you ready for combat horror uh, vignette. There's other vignettes where you control animals or control inanimate objects and all kinds of other stuff. But that to me feels like perfectly scoped to tell the story that it was telling it did so effectively it did so in an interesting way and i think it did so in a way that you know as a bonus would have been potentially less effective in another media like it was actually really cool to control mm -hmm. these people uh, you know in their stories in their last moments uh, and sort of see what happened to them um but it, it felt very playful and creative and it like it was done really well so i think that's a good example of, of, of you know very limited scope but more more broad than your average what do we ever settle on for walking sim puzzle box or whatever whatever yeah. that was uh, so it has many more mechanics than a game of that nature even though it's it's sort of lumped in with games of that nature but uh, it's scoped appropriately i think for what it was uh i've got one short one and then one that i'll want your feedback on uh, the yeah. short one is i really liked ruse which was made by Eugen systems for Ubisoft ages ago, but the thing it did that I really loved was that, um, so it was an RTS, but uh, when you zoomed in, the visual fidelity of the battlefield increased, like to the point where it basically like made scaling decisions as you zoomed in and out about placement of units. And so when you zoomed all the way out, uh, a lot of units that can be widely spaced around on the battlefield mm -hmm. uh, were suddenly like merged into one stack. And huh. you could move that stack around to like move that entire army, uh, basically. And then when you zoomed in, 
the stack would break into its con- constituent components and you could sort of like place them all a little more tactically and uh, a little more like custom wise, which was really, really cool because it made it really easy to sort of seamlessly uh, get between the high level strategic level and then like straight into the nitty gritty of an individual battle. Uh, the only game I think that has done something similar is um, the Hegemony series, uh, which is okay. a really cool real time strategy uh, series. The other thing that I would cite in terms of like, why don't more games do that? I really love how Prey embraces its gaminess. Yeah. And the two things that like really stand out in my mind are um, one, like Prey realizes that like character models can be like spawned and erased at will within a game. (laughs) You can just do that. And it does that. It it plays around with that conceit. uh, And it's a really clever way to sort of like use and take advantage of the way games are made uh, to create like really unsettling and dynamic environments uh, in, in ways that I'm, I'm not used to seeing. I'm not saying like every game needs to like have, you know, every game needs mimics now. Uh, right. But, but I do kind of love it's, uh, it's ability to sort of shift reality uh, on you really quickly. The other cool thing it does is, um, you know, the, the looking glass technologies you see to create these like really, uh, striking like um you know false scenes uh around you um and change your understanding of like where you and where you sit in the space is another really really cool thing that not a lot of games seem to have embraced uh and so i just it seems like a lot of shooters don't like breaking realism to some extent like you know what i mean like they, they want to sort of like look like they're recreating reality to some extent. And it's really cool to see how Prey is like, man, like the way games like create their illusion of worlds is really fucked up. That's really (laughs) interesting. What else could we do with that? And I'd love to see more of that. Yes. I completely agree. Prey is fucking awesome. And on many levels that we didn't even discuss, I honestly could have a whole Prey podcast. (laughs) Uh, Some of us are... Very, very special. But yeah, that is like a really, really rad thing about that game and a very, oh God, a really cool thing I'd like to see more people do. Also, just immersive sims tend to be scoped interestingly. Yeah. <laughs> Good immersive sims have an incredibly wide scope, but they never feel uh, like there's anything that that didn't need to be there, if that makes sense. Like they, they have all these ways of going about something, uh, you know. Bioshock 2 had a, had an incredible like hunter-gather kind of system or, mm-hmm. or setting traps, and you could have completely gone a different way, uh, used completely different powers to do things, but the fact that this entire robust and beautiful system was there and it was so much fun to engage with was amazing and felt really, really good, and, and Dishonored does this really well, too. You can ignore half of your powers and still have an amazing time and still just blast through these levels and, and tear things apart, and that's that's incredible. So, yay for really good immersive sims in general, I suppose. All right, Rob. I think it's about time for us to talk about our weekend projects. Is there something you've been watching, reading, oh. playing? Something special? Oh. This one's yeah. coming straight to you. This one's, this one's, oh. uh, I was watching this, I was like, this seems like a Danielle joint. Oh. Uh, and what I am talking about is 10 Cloverfield Lane. Hell yes. 
Have you seen I that? Love I love that movie. Okay. Yes. Hell yeah. Um, did we talk about it at one point? Did we? Uh, you know, we may we, have. Our lives are busy. Sometimes things get in the way. We may have, but we might not have. And I want to hear what you think about it. Well, what I think about it is that it's got one of the best like female protagonists since like Ripley. Yeah. Um, like Mary Elizabeth Winstead's Mary Elizabeth Winstead's uh, Michelle. Uh, she plays this woman who is fleeing like a shitty relationship and gets in a car accident one night and wakes up in this like survival bunker yeah. with John Goodman, uh, this dude named Howard, uh, and uh, some rando named Emmett. Uh, played by John Gallagher Jr., who you may recognize as the um, the dude from the newsroom. Oh, uh, God. Who was like, everyone yeah. was like, he's such a great producer and newsman, even though there wasn't like a ton of evidence for that, but he just he just was. Anyway, he's playing Emmett, <laughs> and it becomes like a, sort of a, uh, you know, one set play set in this, uh, in, in this bunker. And John Goodman is telling Michelle that the world is basically ended outside this bunker and she needs to be like kept safe and like there's nothing out there for her and so even though it seems like she's been abducted and is being kept in this dungeon she's actually being protected from the apocalypse out there and you know john goodman is a scary fucking actor oh my god um, like yeah the coen brothers probably the first to realize this uh with, with barton fink where he's just a, a truly terrifying performance but like john goodman is able to do that like jolly bonhomey uh, filled like fat man character who like can turn on a dime to just like this bottomless pit of like anger and resentment and frustration uh, that's that's almost like beyond words and it's really terrifying but totally awesome he evokes that better than anyone and so this movie like first sets up this like tension of it's very gaslight right like. Is this really happening? Um, Emmett says it is, but like Michelle isn't convinced. There's a lot of things to make her think that like the reality she's being told exists is not actually real. And so I think a lesser movie might have just said, okay, so the suspense of this movie, like I think that the uh, M. Night uh, Sh uh, Shyamalan approach to this would have been the entire movie is like is it or isn't it bad out there and instead like 10 cloverfield lane uh kind of answers that question halfway through and so you start to think like okay so it's not like these guys aren't lying to her she's safe here so the threat is going to be from the outside but then it starts to turn around like oh things are still actually could be really fucked up and dangerous in here and the cool thing about Michelle's character that I really love is that at no point the thing that is true about her from start to finish is that she has like a visceral reaction to anyone trying to restrain or trap her or yeah. like tell her her feelings are not valid. Like she goes from like zero to like ready to chew her own leg off to escape a trap, a trap like in seconds, like just an incredible like will to survive uh, yes. and, and be independent in this performance that like is really rare in movies like this. And the other thing is the movie just keeps 
throwing these twists at you uh, that keeps sort of like raising the stakes and changing your understanding of what's really happening here. Uh, and it's cool to see her like really quickly adapt to each new piece of information and then immediately like come up with a plan uh, to, to deal with it. It's, it's, it's really cool. Yes. I agree wholeheartedly um, with everything you're saying. It's also not to spoil anything, but I really like the sort of ambiguity uh, and the answers that they give you <laughs> about kind of what was going on. I, I love that it wasn't just sort of a, a binary of what's kind of going on there. Yeah. Uh, I love when movies do that. I love when movies are like, is it or isn't it? And then it's like, maybe something else entirely, man. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's everything. Reality is fucked up and weird. Sometimes a whole bunch of shit can be going on at once. And that's good when movies do that and do it well uh, and do it in like a, you know, satisfying way and give you a satisfying payoff for the things that you wonder and the things that you think about. Uh, so yes, God, I really liked that movie a lot. It was, um, it was like a Valentine's movie, wasn't it? Like last year, am I totally off? Maybe it was summer I, and my I think life it was, is fucked up. I don't remember, but <laughs> like, I don't think it was a major release. Yeah. Uh, it, but it, kinda, it was really cool. It kind of popped out of nowhere in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, it was, it was awesome. And, Wow, so much better than Cloverfield. Just gonna say it. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yes, for sure. Like Cloverfield, <laughs> I think is a fun like POV monster movie. Yeah. Uh, which is which is nifty, but it's yeah, it's it's basically like, what if Godzilla was a found footage movie? Uh, yeah. Which you know is it's fine. Not like bad. it's enjoyable. I'm not taking a dump on it. I'm yeah. not taking a dump on it. I'm just saying this is a lot more interesting. Yeah. No, I, uh, Cloverfield Lane's opinion. a good fucking movie. Yeah. Like like yeah. hands down. All right, I want to tell you, Rob, about a good fucking movie that has good a fatal flaw. Movie. A fatal flaw. Oh, wait. So not a good fucking movie. Well, jury's out. Okay. <laughs> My jury is out, to be honest, because this is so fatal of a flaw that it's... Ooh, it's hard. It's really hard. It's really, really right. hard. So I'm going to give you a little backstory. I really love Hot Space Garbage. Hot Space Garbage is really? one of my That's favorite genres... What? That's shocking information. Yeah, really shocking. I need to digest this. Hold uh, on, Danielle. Barbarella is a fucking masterpiece. Wow. All right. I, I love, love, love Jupiter Ascending. I think Jupiter Ascending is so much fun. We've talked about that on the podcast. I think it's fun as hell. I think it's fucking hot trash, and it's great, and it's fun, and it's celebratory in a lot of ways. I love The Fifth Element. I think The Fifth Element is definitely a cut above uh, something like Jupiter Ascending. I think it has a coherent storyline. Even though its its tone is very, very, very playful and fun and campy and colorful, it has a storyline that makes sense. It, it's a little weird, but it makes sense. It, it moves from A to B in a way that that uh, is logical. So, Luc Besson of, of The Fifth Element uh, directed, I think he also wrote, <laughs> he directed this movie, called Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, which came out a couple weeks ago. I saw it uh, not long after it came out. And uh, it is a really fun movie. What's up? I did not say anything. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> mic issue. I clearly had a mic issue there. No problem. All right, so I saw it not long after it came out. And it is an incredibly fun movie. It's colorful. It moves fast. It has a lot of fun action. It has a lot of good sight gags. It's, uh, it definitely harkens back to the fifth element in a lot of ways. 
uh, sort of in the, in its tone and its very playful tone and its sort of fast pace and the fact that it it exists to give you this gorgeous rush of eye candy, basically. Yeah. Everything from the costume design to the production design to the crazy CG planets and worlds and things like that. It's all there to give you this, like, head rush. Which would be all well and good if the main character was more appealing than a pile of dog diarrhea. But oh, I, 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 I regret to inform you that he is not. He is awful. The main character is just this asshole piece of shit who is supposed to be like a lovable asshole, I think. He's supposed to be like a lovable rogue type, but he's neither lovable nor rogue. He is, uh, the whole setup of the movie is that he's this like agent. He's space cop of some kind, Major Valerian, and he works with Laureline, who I forget what her rank is, but she's definitely a subordinate of his. And he just tries to sleep with her the entire movie. He just makes creepy moves on her the entire movie and asks her to marry him all the time. And she's like, what about all your conquests, Valerian? And she just sort of like brings up this visual of hundreds of women's pictures. And he's like, whatever, they're fun. All of this happens without any any sign of being likable or there being any life under his cold, dead eyes. Like, it's bad it is so bad he's just an asshole he's just an asshole it doesn't help that he seriously looks like a 17 year old who like hasn't gone to sleep in a couple of weeks like he he really it it's but the whole movie's like he's the charming rogue that yes like men want to be him and women want to be with him yes uh-huh. and, and bro like look i, I don't want to like put all the blame on the actor dane dehan is the actor I look young. I understand. I get carded. I've I've been asked if I'm old enough to sit in the like um, exit row on planes where you have to be 15 and I'm 33. Like, I get it. Sometimes you look young. That's not a problem with the person who's portraying it. It's a problem with the script that has made this person out to be Mr. Lady Killer, who's also just an asshole. Like, he, he promises people stuff all the time and never really acts like he cares or he's going to deliver. He's like, he's basically, I'm a cop. That's basically his one line in the whole fucking movie is I'm a cop, basically. It's whatever. I'm a federal agent, I guess, is what he literally says. He tries to mansplain literally everything to his his co-pilot or whatever, his co-worker. And the movie's like not aware of this, like how often Not even a is. little, not even the like, tiniest bit. His partner's bit. like, could you stop like condescending to me? Like, yeah. No, she never is like, back the fuck off. No, she's always just like, okay. Like, she, it's a tiny bit of I'm smart and I'm educated. They also have less chemistry than, like, a dictionary. Like, uh-huh. it's just, it's so bad. It's so dead. The movie just grinds to a horrible, awful, uncomfortable halt whenever they're talking to each other. And they're supposed to be these, like, hot, sexy, romantic leads that are having so much fun crossing the galaxy and doing cool space shit. And it's just like... please stop stop talking to each other this is terrible rihanna is in this movie she's wonderful she plays a burlesque performer who can basically shapeshift she's great i don't know why they didn't just fucking give rihanna the lead role that would have been fine just put rihanna she's captain valerian that's all we need it would have been a good movie but christ it just he really just takes a poo on the beautiful Sunday. We're going back to Sundays on the beautiful Sunday. That would have been this fun space trash. And yeah. uh, it's a bit of a crying shame because the story is even somewhat interesting. 
Uh, again, like the fifth element, there's like a logic to it. It makes sense why you're running through all these weird set pieces. And that's fine. That's kind of cool. I was in it for the story. I was interested. I was interested in the other characters. I was super entertained by this movie. I wanted to see where it went. I wanted to see all these cool places and all these different characters. I just wanted the main character to die, you know, the whole time. Because he's, he's really bad. He really sucks the life out of it. So, yeah. It's worth watching, I think, for the other things. But when your main character know. is a douche canoe yeah. who just isn't interesting. Like, if you're going to go lovable asshole, and I don't even recommend going lovable asshole. Like, I don't think they should have in this movie. I think lovable assholes are boring as hell and actually not that great a lot of the time. But if you're going to be Han Solo, you need to actually be Han Solo. You need yep. to be lovable you need to be somebody who even if they're bad at showing it they care about people around them and actually make sacrifices and do things to actually be part of the team you also need to have a smile and uh, you know charm and charisma yep. and all these other things that equate to screen presence but woof, that just that was missing here the lovable part of the asshole was missing here so uh yeah you can watch it and just like fast forward the parts where he talks. That sounds that sounds like a big ask. Sounds it's a tough. Big, it's a pretty big ask. I will say this: this is a movie that I would definitely enjoy putting on in the background as I do work and that kind of thing, just for the visuals to splash across my face as I'm enjoying my life. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, God, if somebody could just replace Rihanna's face with his face, we'll be all right. I'm sure that technology exists or it will exist at some point in life. And when we get there, we'll, we'll be living in a beautiful universe. Much, much better universe anyway. All right. So I think on that note, <laughs> just cast Rihanna. That's all you need to do. I, on that note, I think it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by yours truly and hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about Idle Weekend at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. Keep up with the latest from us. Follow us on Twitter at Idle Weekend. Amazing. Now tell your movie-going companions, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell the people in your life that you think might enjoy Idle Weekend about us. It would help us out so, so much. And if you could take a quick second and rate us on iTunes... And, uh, you know, complain about how we feel about uh, Valerian. That's fine. Uh, but that would help us out so, so much as well. We really, really do appreciate it. And we appreciate you listening to us. So for Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of idle weekends. Mm -hmm.